This episode of All the President's Minutes is brought to you by bellacatering.com.au. Guys, if you are in the Sydney area and you want to cater your family get-togethers, which are going all over the place, if you've had weddings cancelled and you're doing little close family things or you've had birthday parties that are growing in size and shifting or you have to have three different shifts of friends and family to attend an event, why think about the catering? Why bother yourself with doing that? Go to bellacatering.com.au. They'll deliver it. They're the best catering company in Sydney, hands down, and they've pivoted to home delivery during this time of pandemic. They are awesome. Follow them up. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Past the 100 episode mark, now on to 101. Thank you for your support. One Heat Minute. It also has a Patreon. So if you have a little bit of extra scratch and you want to support us, go to that, patreon.com forward slash One Heat Minute. You can also donate in the show notes of every episode, depending on the app that you're using. Thank you so much for listening. Let's dive into this, episode 101. We're shooting here in Oregon, and we wanted to, to, to utilize the location. And it was important to feel the air in the, in the, the epic space and the outdoors. And we're up here in the, in the mountains, in the forest. The weather has been shit awful. All of these elements, you know, the overcast skies, the mist that hangs around. I've never seen mists anywhere in my life like the mist you get in Oregon. You know, it's like there's something under the earth that's sending this stuff up. It's eerie and it's beautiful at the same time. The environment is so lush. Horrific things are taking place, but it's gorgeous. And there is something about the remoteness. I mean, that's the whole point, is that the band comes to this very remote venue, and it's the classic, no one can hear you scream. And then when the, the film takes a turn, and it becomes a, a whole different world, and we're enclosed in this claustrophobic situation for a, a nightmarish night. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to All the President's Minutes. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Now, this is a little bit of an unusual one because the guest that I'm speaking to today is a phenomenally talented actor, filmmaker, uh, and really like one of the number one Heat fans in the entire world. So this episode actually had intended to be a him uh, uh, being a special guest on One Heat Minute because we've gone back and forth for months and it is no... There is nothing more joyful to me than waking up to like a new DM or like a new like mention of a tweet that is some good hate content. And especially the person I'm talking to today being the person who's sending me such good hate content. So that is a really, really great thing. But throughout the journey of all the president's men, one of the things that has marveled all the guests and I is that there is a film that is produced at the time uh, that it happens that so encapsulates you know, the zeitgeist, the feeling of paranoia in the 1970s, the feeling of corruption, the feeling of discontent, the feeling that there's something wrong and that people need to keep working towards it. And so many examples come like, what other examples are the things that get made right on time that feel so urgent? And I feel like if you had your finger on the pulse back in 2015, a horror thriller that stars my guest today, uh, 
was one of those films. It was a film that people probably didn't want to look at hard in the face and stare at it and say, Hey, this may be a predictor for a bunch of people that are going to be voting for a certain American presidential nominee coming up. But, um, it, it nonetheless has had a profound impact on me and I think a profound impact on many people who have seen it since and has really quickly grown into a cult status. So if I have an opportunity to talk to someone who could be in a film that is so impactful that also kind of knows that experience from the inside and is a filmmaker and also loves heat and has worked with the other greatest uh, fan of all the president's men in the world, Steven Soderbergh, then I'm going to take it and I'm going to take it for you. Even if it's a quick, even if it's a quick show, just the opportunity to talk to this guy is a huge treat. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Macon Blair. Macon, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Far too kind. Thank you very much. (laughs) Far too kind of you. (laughs) Look, and, and, I, I just wanted to say, look, it's a, it's a real treat to have you. It's a, uh, I mean, I know that I'm pushing you into your uncomfortable non-heat territory right now, but I just wanted to say um, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Can you tell me about your experience firstly as, uh, this is a question if I had a chance to talk to any of the actors in Presidents, which um, may or may not happen in the course of the show, but when you are making a movie like Green Room, can I ask you, and, and especially Blue Ruin and then back into Green Room and your collaboration with Mrs. Saulnier, can you tell me about when you are making that movie, are you guys really aware of how it's going to play? Are you guys, you guys feel like you're tapped, it, tapped into something, you're tapped into something that people are uncomfortable with and they don't want to talk about? How, how does it feel when you're making a movie like that that starts to capture? And now a few years later where people are starting to appreciate it as like, Oh, this is kind of like a weirdly predictive text of like America, contemporary America. Well, that part is horrible. Is the worst. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't want to speak for Jeremy, but I, I, having worked with him on that one and he actually had the idea for green room, before Blue Ruin. Blue Ruin was like the low budget version that he thought he could get together with with no resources um, yeah. to get his foot in the door. The idea for Green Room, a siege movie that takes place at a, at a punk rock show, um, was a little too big to get off the ground and, and until there was, you know, some some heat behind him <laughs> um so so he he kind of designed that you know do the small movie first and then and then move up to that one um that was kind of the the plan that he had laid out i i don't believe that he had any um we never talked about like this is going to comment on anything uh it, 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 that, that that's going on now it's it, it was not meant to be a sort of um it was not meant to be like an article on anything. It was just a thriller. Um, it was meant to be an exercise in tension and uh, using space and, and character to really ratchet up that tension. The fact that it was white, violent, criminal, organized white supremacists, that was all based on research. And like, there was no like, oh, let's pull this out of fantasy land. That's, that's obviously very real. But um, the, the, the fact that it, it sort of, you know, in recent years became okay to announce yourself as such and okay to 
literally hang that kind of flag in your front yard and, and wear that kind of, you know, a hat with the swastika on it into Walmart and, and just be like, I'm, I'm one of the gang here. That is new or at least new to me. Um, and, and it does seem like a resurgence, but, but the sort of ideology and the, the, low key organization was always there. And, and that's what we were researching. Um, that's what he dug into a lot. Uh, when writing that script, a lot of what the, the, the villain characters in that movie were referencing were, were based on actual events. Um, he was always very mindful of, you know, he, he always said like Nazis are low hanging fruit. They're very easy to hate, which is yes. true. And so it was it, wanting to sort of um, acknowledge the reality of, of that culture, that subculture in the movie, but, but not have it be uh, an announcement or a condemnation. That's sort of, you would think goes without saying. Yeah, um, you would. You would think if someone is a white supremacist, it's just like it goes without saying that they're a bad guy. <laughs> you don't have to hammer it down. It's like these are bad people. They're, they're, and and I think that the movie does a great job of that. I think it's, I think it's, um, it's the fact that you guys don't harp on it. I think is part of what makes it so impactful because these are yeah. just these are just people at a punk show and they exist and you know the the little band are just like, look, we got to make some money and we're going to go out and do this punk show. And it might be at a shitty venue and every band movie has a shitty venue that they play at. Um, you know, even, even the blues brothers, <laughs> you know, like it's like, it's like a trope of great movies that the band has to yeah. play at a shitty show, except you guys, except you guys turned it completely on its head, you know, and, and, and in, in that performance it's like, Oh, now it's a trap and I can't ever leave. Yeah, I think it was it was less about like if, if you even want to call it politics, which is sort of like oh well, you're making a political state, you know that, that that sort of minimizes the, the 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 evil of it. But I I think the the element there was more that, that was useful in the story was more about the the hierarchy of the you know the there's the sort of the leadership, um, the Sir Patrick character and the Kai Lennox character, and then they have these um, uh, impressionable, uh, you might even say vulnerable younger people, which is not to excuse them, but they they're willing to take orders and, and carry out these um, these these violent missions that are that are just told um, they're just told to do, and they they blindly follow that, and that that was the horror of it, and that combined with the confined space of of you know how do you get out of this eight by 12 room when people on the other side are are determined to kill you so well um from that from an eight by 12 room to the city of washington dc um which is where we're going to travel through um what what's your relationship to kind of new hollywood because it feels like you are definitely a genre filmmaker and I feel like some of the best genre stuff like exploded out of new Hollywood because it was able to sort of tussle with things that are happening at that time, your own films. And then the films that you're in, a lot of them are great genre movies and, and those sorts of things. So um, what's your relationship to new Hollywood and particularly presidents? Cause I feel like if you're a person who has a deep affinity for heat, then you have a deep affinity for new Hollywood just in general, because heat feels like a, feels like a new Hollywood action movie, but it needed the mileage on Robert De Niro and Al Pacino to make it actually work. 
Yeah, well, it I, it it was years before I even knew what to call it. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What would new Hollywood be relative to any other kind of Hollywood? It was all just movies, and that's what we had sort of growing up, spending time after school making our own movies, and then renting VHS tapes and and trying to watch them. And it all it just kind of spread out from we were very into those types of genre movies. It was the eighties. So there was a lot of Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. And when all of the sort of contemporary options were exhausted, um, you, you, you at the video store, you started going back in time and back in time and back in time. And, and a lot of those, you know, I saw all the president's men when I was a teenager and I, I recognized that it was a great movie and a, a, a brilliantly crafted movie, but it didn't blow me up the way that at that time, as a as a young person, I was like, "Oh, it's all about Goodfellas, or it's all about, of course, you know, Streets or whatever." Um, and it wasn't until later that that it, you know I was able to recognize, like, "Oh, this is where it's at." And so that's since become one that I would watch much more often. It becomes one of those movies that when you're flipping channels and it comes on even if it's got the commercials you're just going to sit down and watch the whole thing no matter what time it is or anything um, like that it has that quality there's you just said something that like cannot be a pre it's something that i deeply miss because that's exactly my experience of a video store there was like i don't know if you guys had weekly hires like we would do the you'd have the overnight rentals at your local video store and then you could go get a pile for like 10 bucks uh you know sometimes 10 movies of like weekly rentals and you would just go back and back and you just walk out with arm, arms full of these VHS tapes, hope that they were rewound, start watching them and motoring through. I did that through horror and all those genres. It's, it's a, I don't know what it is, but it seems to be more manageable than a Netflix stream. Um, it just seems to be, it seems to be less, uh, less oppressive. It's, it, it feels like more of a dedicated choice. It's, yes. it, it's, you don't, I mean, I guess you could watch five minutes of it and turn it off. And, and we probably did that, but there's something different than just, and, and I know this will sound like, oh, in my day, and I don't mean it like that, but there, there does feel something very participational and tactile about like, you have to hold this thing in your hand. It's, you have to figure out a pocket to put it in or a backpack. You have to ride your bike back home. You know, Video Vault was in Old Town, so you gotta, it's its like a trip to get down there, find out what you want, and get back home. It's not just clicking through a list of, of title options on a computer. I think that's great, and having access to, to, to that much material is unimaginable, but I, I just because that was my experience as a young person of, of picking out a thing and and it costs you 250 or whatever it costs and and you have to make that choice and that's what you're going to watch that afternoon those those two or three movies that you took off the shelf and walked home with yeah it's and it's also like and i don't know about i don't know about you guys just like uh, who are listening as well it's even the renting prospect online sometimes is annoying because you forget if you have multiple streaming services you're like oh i rented it but there's that old thing of like that big chunky VHS tape is sitting on my bench and it's wait on my shelf and it's waiting to be watched. And then I've got to return it. It's like also the return. And then you go back and it's like, Oh, I get to browse again. Like it's like this whole activity that is built around it. That is something that's so kind of now you have a, especially that we've all around the world had some form of lockdown or not or not. Well, well <laughs> I wish we had a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's the it's it's the urgency of it. Like you you better hurry up and watch it in forty eight hours, or they'll start charging you late fees. Yes. So it's yeah. sort of like good, bad, or indifferent. I'm 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 gonna watch this movie. <laughs> um, and you know, there's um, there's just something about there's something about the almost like you go, you know, I think people have it with like video games or whatever. It was like, if you've got a local video store that is your, your great love as a kid, like there's a local, you would literally like, I've got to get them all. Like sometimes you just go on a row. You're like, I've, uh, I'll grab a new release and then I'll grab the next five in this row that I have no clue what they are. Um, I'm not, you know, and, and you can be somewhat discerning. It's like, I've got no clue. These look good by the cool covers and I'm, I'm in. And some of them might be classics and some of them might be garbage, but it's it some- the, the, yeah, exactly. The, the, the covers was that, that was the whole thing. And yes. so it's sometimes the covers will betray you and do you wrong. <laughs> sometimes the cover, you're like, Whoa, this was so much better. The cover looked like shit, man. Fix it up. Um, that's the, that was part of the fun of, of kind of unpacking those little, those little gifts. And also Netflix, uh, particularly, which I, I know you've worked with, they sometimes trick you now because they, there's no consistent cover. It's they change the thumbnail. Well, so it's you're based like, on your algorithm. Ah, yes. See. It's based on what you have browsed and searched and liked or not liked. Or, or if, you, if you're browsing and you pause on a title and even if you don't rent it, but they know that you paused and you considered it for 3.4 seconds, which has a different metric value than if you paused on it for five seconds. And somehow in some way they will determine what thumbnail is going to work better to attract you to another movie. It's, I, it's kind of mind. I, I, I feel like we need a Netflix's Kelso played by Tom Noonan and Heat to explain to me how that works. Cause it's just all too, pluck it out of here. <laughs> no, it's not that show, but the irritated look that Neil gives him at that moment, like this <laughs> fucking guy, <laughs> I know how to pluck it out of the air. And he's like, okay, just give me the shit. It's like, I don't want to hear you brag about it. <laughs> I, I, I love that little uh, side eye that he gives him there. I'm sorry to, to switch streams on no, you, no that's okay it's okay i think my whole life is a is my whole life maker is an internal battle to not talk about heat and uh i thought after doing a hundred and now 80 odd episode podcast that it would be enough um but uh sometimes the urge still comes back it's 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 you know it's it all you have to do is see a great you know see it again on the big screen and experience it or just even watch it at home. Or it's like you said, with presidents, it's an impossible movie in my mind. I think everyone's got that sort of cachet of small amount of movies. Like if it's on at any time of the day or night, you will watch it. And actually very recently, a movie that you starred in Logan Lucky is a movie like that for me too. It's like, it's, it's become a new great, just joyful experience of hilarity that if it's on at any point in time and especially when i see adam driver's great stupid face in that movie i'm like yeah i'm in i'm I'm not leaving like channing is obviously great but if you just see the one-armed bartender which in and of itself is hilarious um it's it's just you know it's the minute you start that movie it's kind of got a great all right this is a good hang i'm gonna hang out here i mean the great ones are like the big lebowski lebowski's on any time of the day or night it's like this movie will be watched until the end. That's that's it's undeniable. All right. Well, let's. Yeah. The plot of it is is irrelevant. You just want to 
hang out with those people that you I, consider to be friends or that universe that is welcoming and warm to you for whatever reason. You just want to um, go to that bar like that. That's the hang. It's like, I just want to be in the bar with these folks. I'm in, I'm, I'm totally in. Well, look, thank you so much for being at the 101st minute of Alan J. Pakula's 1976, uh, masterpiece along with Robert Redford. Um, all Why the president- be regarded as the best minute of all of the <laughs> It's close. It's close. Um, look, Megan and I are going to check this minute out. We're going to dive into a few of the topics that are around it um, and then uh, uh, and, and unpack it all for you. So we're going to watch that now. You guys are going to listen along and let's do it. Before Musky self-destruct. If you self-destruct. Hi, uh, Donald Segretti. That's right. I'm uh, Carl Bernstein from the Washington Post. Hi. What can I do for you? Well, my paper just sent me out here to try to persuade you to go on the record. Why me? I guess because you were the head coordinator of Nixon's sabotage campaign against the Democrats. Carl, you want some coffee? You read my mind. Carl. Tell me something. What, uh, what, what do you imagine the head coordinator does? Well, I guess basically you were involved in uh, recruiting other people like yourself, other lawyers. Lawyers? Like Alex Shipley. I made it clear that I would not do anything violent or illegal. What do you mean by illegal? Water. Now, you were, you were joking. You were joking before saying that this is the most powerful minute. But can I just tell you, Holy shit, have I been waiting a goddamn long time to talk about Robert Walden as Donald Segretti in this movie because his face is unforgettable. It is an amazing scene. And it actually, for all of the misdeeds that he then outlays in this conversation, this beautifully candid combo, there's nothing cooler than having a witness who is really deeply dodgy, who feels so authentic and feels so goddamn honest. And he's just like, all right, Carl, I'm going to lay it out for you. And you're like, unfortunately that's the crescendo and close of our minute, but I have been waiting to talk about this guy's face since minute one. I I didn't, I I was joking because I didn't know what minute 151 was. And I was very delighted to see that that was it. it. It's, he's one of my favorite in a movie that's just sort of populated with all the, obviously there's the two, guys at the center and the editorial staff, but all the sort of investigative leads that they have to speak with and track down, um, that, that, that's one of the great joys of the movie. And, and he's just at the top of that list. And it is because of the, he's so goddamn nice. Yes. He's so you, you want some coffee and then just sits down and kind of like, they might as well be talking about sports scores or something like that Anything. and not, the 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 health of a democracy it's just it's hilarious um and then after the fact it's quite chilling and that dude um he really sort of if if you're talking about this movie and how it connects to today he seems like a very benign precursor to like roger stone where they're just like i'm check out our cool tricks look what we pulled off look what we Look how we made them run in circles and look how we, we, we sort of, it wasn't illegal. It wasn't violent. It wasn't technically this or technically that, but look how we ran the show. Like he's, he's proud of his craft. It's, 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 like, it's like those, uh, 
it's like those TV shows about news, um, magicians where they're like, here's the tricks. Like this is everything we did. And for someone like Bernstein, who obviously is a little bit of a cynic, so he knows that there is, you know, what I've sort of come to term like basically political fuckery. There's always like a little bit. There is a little bit up from both sides. There's a little, you know, leaks to media and things like that. But just the sheer organization of everything. We're going to go to their hotel room. We're going to mess with them there. We're going to mess with their press releases. We're going to mess with this person. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to send out fake news releases. We're going to send out fake everything that, you know, all those different things they're around. Dude, there's a, there was just a thing the other day where the, um, I may have some of the details incorrect, but the gist of it is the, the paperwork for your, um absentee ballot that gets mailed to you is a like triple folded packet and when it arrives to you the glossy exterior is like a a a trump 2020 ad and you open it up and it's more like vote so in other words it looks like just a flyer that you're getting in the mail and if you don't open the first page the second page and the third page you're probably going to throw away your ballot your ballot application because it's been window dressed to look like um, just a Trump leaflet. And if you're not going to vote for him, you're like, ah, it's going in the bin. Yeah. Yeah. You're not even, you're certainly not going to open it up. And then especially that there was something so like, God damn, not even just the outside fold. You can find a video of it, but you have to open like three successive pages. So like you have to be determined to fold through this thing that you hate in order to be like, oh shit, this was the this was the paperwork I was waiting for to come <laughs> up for me. Who is going to do that? And it's 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 insidious. It's it's genius in how effective it is. I I don't understand how it's allowable, but I mean it, it, that almost doesn't matter anymore. Unallowable things are seemingly allowed all the time, but it, it all seems to, you know, this character in in President's Men like would. He, he he'd be like, that's, he'd be like, that's good. Oh he's like, God, oh, why didn't I think of that? He's like, <laughs> absentee votes, we'll turn it into a Trump leaflet, right? We'll make it a Trump flyer. If there's any swing voters, they're going to think about Trump. That is, that is, that is so crazy. Even, even I've seen Australian corporates do like dodgy things like that, like phone companies, like with your cell phone, it's like, oh, your plan is like the actual information in the middle is like, oh, your plan is ending and we will automatically add you to this new plan and you'll start paying X amount more. Yeah. But it's all packaged in all that BS. So it just feels like, yeah, that makes sense. They're going to, people are going to try and screw you. The time or the interest to, it's just like you can't fight City Hall. Yeah. Who's no. going to read all that shit? They're just going to run your card and sign you up for another year. And it's, it's, there's been a few times where I've stood over the, stood over the trash can at, at my house, which is, you know, you walk past them, grab the mail out the front, walk past the bins, and I'm like, open it up to throw the, you know, trash junk mail in and then a couple of times like going to throw and then stopped and gone, Oh, actually let me just take it. Actually, I better take that inside. Cause that looks like one of those, man, that is some, that's some, and you know what? One thing that Robert Walden has as Segretti is he has this thing where as he's saying it, he's inside this machine. He's kind of like, this is how it is. And he's, almost unapologetic about it, which is so refreshing in the context of this movie and in the, in the context of the political discourse that we see right now, because it is just so annoying to be like, these people are like, no, we didn't do that. No, we didn't. I just love finally 
it, and it happens in layers and stages in this movie. Like love getting to someone who's like, no, this is how it is. This is it. And I'm not going to massage any of it. Like, I'm just going to say that I didn't try to do anything illegal. I realized there's some dodginess that, you know, happened around me, but, and, and we got caught up and carried away, but he's like, no, this is exactly how it works. This is exactly what happens in, in this business. It's, 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 yeah, it's beyond not being apologetic. He's, he seems quite proud of it. And it's, there's like the way that he kind of, it's as if he's like, I'm going to give this guy a lesson who, you know, this reporter obviously doesn't know the real rules. So he's like, what do you imagine really goes on? And like, here's the real world, young man. I mean, <laughs> but you know, that's sort of like the way that he's, he's speaking to him. Um, and, and if, if not for like, Oh, drilling down on what they're actually doing. He seems, he seems very likable. He seems very personable. And that's what makes it so he's not twirling a mustache and being like, fuck those dudes. It's, it's very much just like, yeah, we got our defense in order. And you know, we, we, we made some decisions. We got creative with our resources. It's um, it, that is what is so kind of maddening and, and frightening about that is because what they're actually talking about like affects so much more than just like, Oh, we, we, we messed with a leaf split or something like that. Yeah. It's, and at the very, very beginning of the 101st minute we are here. So it's, it's exactly one hour 40 on the dial. If you're watching it on your HBO max or on your DVD or Blu-ray at home, right at the beginning, it is the tail end of a really, like crazy revelatory conversation where there is sits laying on the floor in Bernstein's apartment, uh, Redford's Woodward and Hoffman's Bernstein. And they're going through Donald Segretti's flight patterns and they're going, look, the big thing with Watergate, the one sort of underlying question is why would they bother bugging as an isolated incident when they basically already had the election sewn up? And that had been the rhetoric when they were denying that president Nixon would be involved is that we wouldn't be doing this. And they quickly start to sort of, it's almost like that beautiful scene that gets riffed on in lethal weapon where like, you know, um, Danny, Danny Glover's Murtaugh sort of like goes out and says like, wait, but what if they did this? And what if that means that they got in the drugs and they kind of like, they actually put the whole movie together, literally laying down on the floor of Bernstein's apartment in that way. Like, uh, does that mean they've been doing all this political fuckery for four years? And we were only seeing like the last operation in four years of, operations that eventually would say, Oh yes, absolutely. This has ties to the top because they systematically made the Democrats implode along every stage gate all the way up to now getting reelected, which we see in the movie too. And so we get the very tail end of that scene. And when you were talking earlier about the green room being, you know, a green room being an exercise in tension with, we had the great tense scene of the bookkeeper, which was hugely revelatory earlier. And then you get, and then you get to Segretti and it's just like, Oh, hey. you want the answer? Here's the answer. <laughs> you should have come to me first, man. This would have been a shorter movie. <laughs> He's just so relaxed. He's got a big goofy smile. It's just beautiful. And it's like, let's hey, sit down. Come sit down with me. Let's have a chat. And relaxed by the seaside. They're having a cup of coffee and a cigarette on his balcony. It's just a dream. And it's, it's so funny that like, David Shire's scores soaring, this beautiful tempo, the investigation, they're pulling it all together. And then it's just a guy in boat shoes telling them all this science. And what I love, there's a, an aspect about that scene that is really just fun for me is, is looking at Dustin Hoffman where you can see that he's like 
receiving this information and he's like, holy shit, this guy is giving it to me. Yeah. And he's trying to not be like, oh, oh, like, you're telling me big shit. He's trying to be like, oh yeah, like thanks for the coffee and it's, and it's cool. And, and, but internally you can see that he's processing what this means and, and how um, tectonic it is. And it's just, it's, it's so subtle. And you can see his wheels turning. Like I, I can't fucking believe this guy is laying it out for me like that. It's, it, that's one of my favorite parts. There. And it's like all of the things that they've been practicing together now at this part of the movie of like, how am I going to deal with this person? How am I going to play it? The fact that the guy just starts doling it out, you, you literally watch Bernstein like go, Wow. He just like leans back in his chair, like son of a bitch. So hard to pull the <laughs> shit out of people who will just clam up at the slightest, you, you know, suggestion that I'm trying to get some information from him. And this guy won't be quiet. <laughs> yeah. He's going to shut up. Yeah. Uh, tell me, uh, you know, as I said, you've, you've, you've both made and been a part of some of movies I've really enjoyed over the last few years. And particularly, as I mentioned earlier, Logan Lucky, can you tell me a little bit about the the science of working, you know, you're, you're playing your own kind of investigator, a Bernstein to a uh, Hillary Swanks Woodward, if you like, um, uh, albeit not being able to control your destiny, so to speak, but a fun little, um, a fun little sort of cameo at the end of that movie that closed it off. Can you tell me about working with Soderbergh and as a guy who like seems to have, Alan J. Pakula and William Goldman's ability to like every movie's heist, every how done it, who done it that he tends to create is just so elaborately and perfectly connected that it is just like a well-oiled machine of satisfaction. Like, can you tell about like working on something like that? Yeah. I, I wouldn't presume to know how he does that, but his command of, of process is, you know, whether it's something like Logan Lucky, which is more lighthearted or something that's very, you know, like Aaron Brockovich or whatever. Yeah. It's it, the, 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 the range of tone that he just nails time and time again is kind of breathtaking. Um, that one was, I was very surprised and delighted to get that part. I had auditioned for one of the Bang Brothers, one of the Daniel Craig's. Oh. So it was, that's what I had tried out for. Yeah. And rightly so, they... Um, I think it was the Jack Quaid in, part in the and nicest possible, in the nicest possible way. It's like, those guys are so much weirder than you. Those guys. Oh, are. No, 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 no. It was like, I, I didn't know what the movie was. It was like, I didn't, I, I didn't, I hadn't read the script. It was like a little slice of the script that I had. So I was, I didn't really know. And I, I did it all wrong. They were great. And so I was just like, well, I got to audition for Steven Soderbergh that's kind of a, a victory in and of itself and then after the fact they came back and said actually there's a a um an FBI part would you want to do that and I was kind of like man I'll I'll play a fucking potted plant <laughs> Steven Soderbergh I don't yeah of course and then and then found out after the fact that it was going to be like a little kind of like dumb sidekick to Hillary Swank which was a tremendous amount of fun and so I got there and um well so just to, to back up right quick like out of sight was one of those movies that 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 movie came out in the theaters i saw it the friday it came out went back the next day saw it on saturday had to take a trip uh was out of town for about a week as soon as i got back in town i saw it a third time in the theater and shortly after that i moved to new york and and this was i guess 98 or something like that had never lived in new york before my first day there, I'm walking down the street and they've got a, a blanket of all these new release 
movies on VHS. And I thought, holy shit, you can just buy out of sight. It's still in the theater. I can buy it on tape right now. I bought it. I got home. Of course, it was somebody with a handy cam in the theater like like that. And I was like, (laughs) ah, shit. But my point is, I was so obsessed and infatuated with that movie that that I've made one movie myself and it's not mysterious. You can look at the whole last 30 minutes of that movie and it's basically me telling you how much I like the ending of Out of Sight. Yeah. Uh, I, I was just like, I, I'm having an awakening burn steamer with you telling me that. I'm like, ah, uh, yeah, I can see exactly. that. Yeah, yeah, it's great. That's great. The guy going up the stairs and tripping and accidentally. It's, that's that's <laughs> what it is. So I was beside myself to get to work with this gentleman. And it, it it's so like, it, in, in he was so kind and so nice about it. But in retrospect, I'm so embarrassed that, you know, you, you, you meet, the, the people that are going to be directing and working with you say, hi, oh, good, yeah, we want to get some lunch, and then we go do the scene. And then when you actually arrive on set and you're waiting to do the scene, there's kind of a little bit of downtime. Stuff's getting set up, and I'm kind of sitting there next to them, and we, we have said hello and nice to meet you, but we're not buddies or anything. So there's sort of like – and he's – Bit of awkwardness, yeah. He's making a movie, and I'm just sitting here kind of staring at him. Like, <laughs> okay, you should say something. You should talk to him. Make some small talk. So like an idiot, I just go – what's your favorite movie? And he goes, Hmm, it's all the president's men. And I was like, Oh shit. Well, and, and then I kind of was like, okay, now I can do a follow up. Well, well, why is that? And he had such a great answer. He was like, there's no reason that this movie should work. It's just people talking for over two hours. And at the end, the bad guys, or sorry, at the end, the good guys fail. The bad guys win. It, It ends with them blowing the story. Their editor is furious with them. I don't mean to skip ahead to another one of your minutes. <laughs> like, they fuck it up and the editor is like, you guys blew it, do a better job next time. And then the movie's over. And he's like, the, the, structurally, um, that shouldn't work. And yet it's the it's it's so compelling and it absolutely does work. And it, it that was just something that like, having seen the movie a bunch of times, you know that that's what happens. It never once occurred to me that that was sort of the brilliance of it, that there was never a moment of, and Woodward and Bernstein took him down. It's no. like, it ends on the low point. It, it kind of ends at the end of the second act. It's, it, 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 and I don't know. That, and after that, I just kind of shut up and was like, okay, I've had my small talk with the great <laughs> I'll just stand here and roll my eyes as well. I would, uh, I would never forget your turn of phrase. I will play a fucking potted plant in a Steven Soderbergh movie. I, I, that, that, that is, that is going to be my answer for so many things. You want to do this? I would fucking be a potted plant at that thing. Um, uh, that is so great. Yeah. Look, it, it shouldn't work. And I think it's been reinforced to me because I maybe it wasn't as obvious to me that that's the case, but when they're sitting there typing at that final scene, they're typing while Nixon's being reelected. Like yeah. that's, which, which is all the more underscore, like they're, they're sitting there typing still tirelessly working, but they didn't all their efforts and all of these re- revelations do not stop him from getting reelected, which is yeah. the, just the, you know, at the end of the day, the, the power of this story has not, there's no one on the record. There's no Senate hearings that, you know, the bookends of history are bigger than this movie. Um, you know, so it's kind of like, there's nothing more powerful than kind of knowing the history, but that's, you know, it's, it, it shouldn't work. It shouldn't, we shouldn't be just stoked for them to just be typing after that. 
And I mean, of course, it only did because we all know in yeah. retrospect what happened. But as like a movie story, it's like they lost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's and it's so cool that like in the face of that huge failure and humiliation, their response was like, well, we should probably work harder. Yeah. And um, it's it's like a great sort of it, it's it's kind of like a Rocky ending. You know what I mean? You know, yeah. like I we, we didn't. We didn't win, but we 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 gave it everything, and and we will come back. So, and and Rocky in the same year, in the same yeah. year, Robards beat Burt Young, and um, Burgess Meredith for the Oscar, in the in that in that in the Rocky year, yeah. Wow. Like, it, it, and and then you know in this, in this same year, obviously Rocky wins Best Picture at the Oscars. Oh man, that's so wonderful. Um, look, I think. I think uh, that story alone and uh, your generosity is more than enough um, uh, of, of, for an amazing contribution for this show. So I want to say a huge thank you and thank you so much for making the time. I know it's been a chaotic time for you with work and home life and kids and family with lockdowns and things. So for any of my American friends that are listening, look, uh, and any of our American guests, I always say a huge thank you for being a part of the show. Um, I, I have to promise that we will be back for a special episode of One Heat Minute together, a bonus, make on a night to talk. We had three scenes that we're going to talk about. We're probably going to cheat relentlessly and talk about everything, but the scene that we landed on just as a, as a teaser for, for fans of this podcast and of the shows that we do, <clears throat> it will be Neil and Edie's meet cute because uh, we've been so excited to, uh, to, to talk about the greatest, uh, the greatest fob off in history of the movies and then being able to recover from the greatest fob off in the history of movies is just such a beautiful thing. But man, I'm such a fan of your work. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. And, uh, and yeah, it's just a real treat to have you on the show. You're very kind. I had, I had a great time. I really look forward to coming back. We can talk about that. And also we'll talk about how I totally humiliated myself at Tom Noonan's karaoke party. Um, <laughs> That is a sentence I never thought I would hear, but I'm so excited to hear where that goes. Still embarrassed to this day, and it ties into our Kelso conversation from earlier, but I look forward to that. Um, thank you very much for inviting me on, and thanks for being patient with uh, with me. It was, no, uh, it was a lot of fun. Don't you. sweat it. You're the best. Thanks, Macon. Thanks, brother. I'll talk to you later. Talk soon. Macon Blair. He's going to be back. He's going to be back on a One Heat Minute production before you know it. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, you can find Macon on Twitter at, at Macon Blair, M-A-C-O-N-B-L-A-I-R. Hold the Dark, Blue Ruin, Green Room, Logan Lucky, The Florida Project, I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. All of those are available on streaming services all around the world. Or if you like your physical media like me, go and buy it. Macon, you're a legend. Can't wait to talk heat with you. Guys, thank you so much for listening to All the President's Minutes again. ATPM pod on Twitter, at one Blake Minute for myself on Twitter and Instagram. For the show, also, oneheatminute.com is the best place you can find us. Mail at One Heat Minute is the best place that you can get in touch. And look, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of the series so far. And if you want to further support the show, Patreon forward slash One Heat Minute, you can subscribe, you get bonus content, bonus podcasts, bonus interactions and shout outs. And you can really help us with our growing stable of movie deep dives. Thank you so much for listening to the show. We've got more great episodes coming up. Only 36 episodes to go. Holy dooly.